Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic related topics and social issues. So it's been a while since I've posted um, and I've thought about this podcast a lot and whether I want to continue it or not because I have so many outlets right now that it's just difficult to know am I taking on too much um but Allah alam I really don't know so maybe the podcast will just be inconsistent but we will um put back up the older podcast because I think we only have a couple up right now we'll put those back up inshallah ta'ala and we'll see how it goes I can't promise that I'll do it every Sunday I know the last time that you heard from me I was doing I did a podcast on the health benefits of fasting and I wanted to follow up with the religious benefits of fasting, which I already prepared for and everything, but I just never got a chance to. So inshallah ta'ala in the future that I will put that podcast up. But for right now, we're going to talk about something a bit different. So on this channel, as I said, it's about, well, as I always say in the beginning, it's about Islamic related topics and social issues. Um, but the the Islamic related part is usually very heavily, um, should I say, an undertone of the conversation. And it won't be as much today because um, it's not exactly related. But not that there's nothing really that's not related to Islam because Islam is like this whole system, a whole way of living. Um, but we're not going to be like quoting directly hadith or Quran or any shayuk or anything like that. Um, I think, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see um, when we get into the specifics. So I wanted to talk about Stefan Clark. And you'll probably be surprised that I'll talk about it in this way. He was Muslim. He converted to Islam, I believe, three years before his death. And he was he was another case of state violence against black people. He was killed by a black, excuse me, he was killed by a police officer. He's a young black man. So this is very common. It's been happening since forever. I mean, it really just transitioned from us, from black people being enslaved and the violence we endured in that way. And then it kind of just continued because then there was Jim Crow and there were hangings. And then it basically transitioned to police brutality. So this is something that black people who choose to live here or, or who do live there, do live here, have to deal with. And I say choose specifically because I don't think that we should forget that as black people, I know that not all of you who are, are black who are listening, but as black people, we do have a choice of where we want to live for anyone but I think that a lot of the times we just feel limited for whatever reasons and we don't think about living elsewhere. But Alhamdulillah is someone who has had the fortune of living elsewhere that I just want other people to be aware that there are other places. Um, and just whether, one other thing on that, I remember, I don't know what the actual video was, but just the comments underneath, I remember someone saying, that every country in the world, like the whole world is racist against black people. And someone asked them, well, have you traveled to another country? And they said, no. And that may sound funny. That may sound like, oh, just a random ignorant person on the internet. But I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of black people that feel this way, even educated black people that feel like racism is global all over the world. And while that may have some truth to it in our day and age, because um, places like Britain, for example, was able to colonize a lot of places. And then, of course, the slavery of Africans by Europeans. Then there is some truth to that because white people were the colonizers. There are a lot of groups that want to aspire to that whiteness. And, you know, what's the opposite of whiteness is blackness. So I do get that there is some truth to that. But the reality is also that there are many, many places where you can live and not individually have to deal with racism. Um, I know that for me, when I lived in Jordan, I only lived there for a year and I wore a veil. I wore a niqab. So I think you can still 
tell that I'm black, but Allahu Alam, because my skin color is like um a middle kind of brown, I guess you can say. So I, there are other groups of people with my same skin color. So Allahu Alam, maybe a lot of people didn't even realize I was black. Oh, but, I, but now I'm remembering because I wore niqab most of the time, but the last two months I was there because I, I was there, I was living near the Zawiyah, and then I went to go visit my sister for some time. And I decided to go back to Jordan for two months, and then I was not wearing niqab because I didn't live near the Zawiyah anymore. So then people definitely could see I was black, but they may still think that I was African, like Sudanese, Somalian, something like that. Uh, but I didn't experience racism there. But more than that, I didn't have to fear racism. Because even in America, I think there are a lot of places where you don't necessarily have to fear racism one-on-one for for example in my neighborhood is mostly black black caribbeans so even though there was some instances of racism when i was in school dealing with white teachers i racism wasn't a part of my everyday reality individual racism because i live around other black people and i'm sure a lot of black people experience that but at the same time we're very aware of structural racism, so the inequality between a public school in a black neighborhood and a public school in a nicer white neighborhood, or um, the the excessive corner stores with junk food and not a lot of grocery stores. So you're aware of those inequalities, those disparities, but you're also aware of the constant violence against your people. So it's like you can live your life, maybe even all of your life, if you live in a really black neighborhood where you don't have to deal with white people in particular and in other groups as well, then you don't really have to deal with one-on-one racism, one-on-one racism. Uh, But it's still a reality of our lives because every time someone gets killed that looks like me, there's that increased fear, there's that increased hesitance that that enters into my life. There's that increased... um, just feeling that uh, conscious that that people who look like me are a target of the state, target of police violence. And so that is just a reality, a real fear that I think every single black person has to deal with on some level. It's very difficult to not feel anything when most of these police shootings are happening against people who look like you. And disproportionately, because I've heard people say more white people get killed in police shootings, I'm not sure. But we're not just talking about raw numbers, we're talking about percentage-wise, because black people are only about 13%, I think a little less now, of the population. So that that also makes a difference, what percentage of black people... And then also knowing the the incredibly high rates of black people who are imprisoned. Um, and then getting to see not just this the police brutality against black people, but comparing it to white people. So when white people commit these mass shootings or, or whatever they do um, related to that, whether it's a mass shooting or a shooting, um, it's usually a mass shooting, then they're able to calmly disarm the white person. They're more patient with them, and they're more considerate of them being able to walk out of that situation alive. Whereas with a black person, minor infractions can mean the end of your life. And that's a very difficult thing to live with because it it denies you your humanity. So just to give an example... Uh, my nephew, and this wasn't with a white police officer, thankfully, because I think if it was with a white police officer, it'd be a very different situation. But um, my nephews, they were coming into the country from overseas, and they had some issues with the um, with the one of the people in charge, like a security guard or something. Uh, my nephew basically told me, you know, I didn't do it. Like, why are you bothering me kind of thing? Because, uh, well, not to get into details. It was a minor infraction, not, nothing that was a big deal. But the guy was just really giving him a hard time. And he was responding like you would respond with anyone who's giving you a hard time. And I think that unfortunately, when you're in the States, as a, especially as a young black man, black 
black men and women, but it seems especially as a young black man, then you're not allowed to be as human as other people. So it's interesting. Um, I think my mom had told him, you know, you can't, you can't act that way now that you're back in the States because they've spent most of their lives overseas. And it's unfortunate because I just think of like, what would I tell my own son? Like, I really don't know. I didn't get involved in the conversation with my nephew. You know, um, I just kind of stood back, heard it and, and just took it as what it was. I didn't insert race into it um, at that point. It's difficult to know what would I do if I had a son myself and he was a teenager. Like, what would I tell him? And I don't know. I really don't know. And, you know, inshallah, I'd have the help of my husband. But I really don't know because I think in one sense, you want to tell your black kid, you know what, I just want you to make it home. Whatever you have to do, however humble you have to be, I just want you to make it home. So shut your mouth, whatever they tell you, keep calm and just make it back home. I get that. But at the same time, I feel like that's denying that young man his humanity as well as his manhood to tell him that even if someone is humiliating him belittling him he should just put up with it because his life is in danger and I have to think about and I know maybe it's not easy an easy thing for a mother to say so it's like it's easier for me to think about it theoretically than if I then when that time actually comes but I also have to think about well, isn't it better if he died as a full man, being a full human being, than if he has to live as a lesser human being, than if he has to live as if he's not as much of a man as a white man or, or Asian or whatever other non-black man? Is that really fair to ask of him? And how can he even develop his manhood if he doesn't feel like he has the agency to even protect his own life? So how is he going to be able to develop as a man who can protect his wife and his family if you're telling him don't even try to protect your own life um, as a man because basically you're telling him be less than a man pretend to be less than so that you can save your life instead of telling him to go head to head maybe still in a respectful way because you should still deal with any authority with respect but to be able to fully be a man and express when he's been wronged and I really don't know, you know, alhamdulillah, that time has not come, so I don't have to deal with that yet. But it is really difficult to say what is right to do, and at the same time, there's no guaranteed outcome. So it's not like you can say, oh, every time a black person was respectful, they made it out alive of a, a you know, a police encounter. No, there's no proof of that. Um... And it, so I, I really don't know how exactly you you deal with that in my parents. I think they were also fortunate in the sense that they only had daughters. So they never really had to have this conversation. Again, it does happen to women as well. I think not to um, as much a degree as it happens to men. So this conversation is going to take kind of a sharp turn because that was a bit of a very empathetic intro to the the plight of black men in this country and that was just to make the point as well about the damage of racism but also that we as black people should know that there are places we can go if you get fed up if you feel like you know what I'm not dealing with this anymore there are many many places in the world where you can be and feel free to a large degree of racism now again we're still going to as long as you're tuned into the news to some degree you're probably still going to connect very directly to the case of another person who looks like you another black person another person with brown skin um and that is going to be hurtful mentally which is why i really recommend we don't take in too much of this stuff at least at least in terms of video footage um but it's like it's it's important for us to know that we don't have to put up with this oppression and there are other places we can go to be free of it but also that there are ways that we can deal with it you know in in terms of self-preservation and self-protection that can also help to some degree 
to um, protect us from the harm of racism, white supremacy, state-sanctioned violence, police brutality, um, unequal services to black people compared to whites, etc. There are ways in which we can hopefully deal with that that to to really cause as little impact as possible to us. So what I wanted to talk about in particular in this podcast or the really the point, the focus of it is actually black women um and how we deal with the fact that Stephen Clark was anti-black women. And firstly, it's really sad that some people think this isn't an important conversation. Some people think, oh, you're so disgusting for, or the people who are talking about this and now I'm talking about it, that you're so disgusting for even bringing up these tweets. How could you even think about that right now? A man is dead. And even though I understand that, (laughs) I think it just proves the point. To continuously say to black women in particular, put your issues on the back burner, let's deal with this, proves the point of the way in which the community de- uh, sometimes degrades black women and our issues. Because it's not as if the the problem is that um, when you tell someone to put their issue on the black, on the back burner, a lot of people, especially women, are willing to do that up to a point. If you're continuously telling black women to put their issues on the back burner, at a certain point, people are going to get fed up because they're going to realize, wait a minute, I keep putting my issues on the back. I keep waiting because you're telling me we have all these bigger issues. Okay, that's cool. I did that time and time and time again. Oh, wait a minute. We're never actually getting to the issues that I'm facing. So that's where the problem lies, and I think that a lot of black women are fed up. It's not about, oh, this has only happened once, this is the first time black women are being told to put our issues on the on the back burner, and we're just automatically like, no, we got to deal with this now. I think that people, especially women, generally get that sometimes there are bigger issues to deal with, and you can't necessarily um, deal with black women's issues at the moment. We want to focus on black lives in general. I definitely get that. I think most black women get that. And I think that's what we've done for the most part. The issue is that we've done it so much that now we're like, you know what? No, <laughs> like you either you are going to listen to this issue or we'll just talk amongst ourselves and you can do whatever you want to do with with what we're facing right now with this, in particular this Stephen Clark um case you can do whatever you want to do you can march for him you can protest whatever we're just going to go over here in this corner and talk about the issues that we need to talk about so in particular there were some tweets that were dug up from Stephen Clark where he just a lot of anti-black women stuff and also from his girlfriend and I believe from his brother as well just a lot of anti-black women specifically well, I'm not sure specifically, but it seems specifically also to anti-dark-skinned black women. And the thing is that, uh, one thing that, that's important to say, is that people can have a preference. Um, unfortunately, the truth is that a lot of the times when black men have a preference for non-black women... It comes from a place of hate. So I can't, I don't know if I've ever heard a black man who spoke about his preference for non-black women without disparaging black women. Now I know of black men who have married non-black women, um, but there's a difference between simply marrying someone that isn't black and actually going out of your way to talk about that's your preference. So the, I've known men or I know men who have married non-black and have never talked about it. Like, it's not a thing to them to, for them to talk about. So men like that and women like that as well. I just assume, and I think it's fair to assume, that that is just the person they happened to marry. That they were probably open to different races of people. 
and this is a person they happen to like, fall in love with, whatever, and marry. That they weren't actively looking for someone who's not black. But I think when you feel a need to state your preference, it's problematic. And I've never seen it in a way where someone has stated their preference, a black man has stated his preference without disparaging black women. And usually they'll talk about the ways in which uh, this particular woman is better than black women. And that is damaging. Now, sure, you can also say, well, hey, it's still his preference. Uh, maybe that's his experience, etc., etc. But then it gets complicated when you're asking, when you're saying, okay, this is, he just didn't like black women. That's his experience. That's his choice. And then you're also saying, but black women need to support him anyway because he was killed by the police. So as someone who's also Muslim, obviously, then I think about, well, if someone who was Muslim, maybe they were culturally Muslim, whatever, and they were known, well, let's let's not say no, let's put it on par, and they were, whatever, a lay person, and they wrote some anti-Muslim, anti-Islam tweets, if they were killed, would I support for would I support them? Would I protest for them? Would I be doing the hashtag thing? And I think that the answer is probably no. And the silence doesn't mean that I think it's justified the way that they were killed, if they were wrongfully killed by let's say an Islamophobic person. Um, the silence of not protesting for them doesn't mean I think they were it was right for them to be killed but it simply means that that person in particular I may not find worthy of my support and I think there is there is a difference so even for myself I didn't really written about Stefan Clark in particular in a sense Um, at least I don't really remember because I wrote some tweets kind of about him but it was really more so about women just saying that just saying that we need to protect ourselves and and not go to these marches which I'll get into in a minute but um and then I had found this conversation that black women were having online about not wanting to support him because he was anti-black woman and I had tweeted something and I basically said you know these tweets of his seem to be from seem to be from two or three years ago um and so it's possible as sad as it is that he hated his own people it is possible that he changed he became Muslim within the past three years so it's possible that he would change and was heading in a better direction and was removing that self-hate from himself um, it's also possible that he didn't. We don't really know. So, even I once I tweeted that, then someone said something like the the usual, you know, well, what's wrong with him having a preference? And they were talking about how evil black feminism was. And so I just deleted the tweets because I felt like, at least my followers on Twitter, I believe, are mostly not black. So it's like, really the engagement wouldn't be there then the need for nuance wouldn't be there and even the only reason I found out about his anti-black woman tweets was because someone I think that I follow uh, a non-black person had retweeted it and spoke about how horrible people were were for pointing out his flaws and and it's just like one I thought okay who are you to even get involved in this discussion because you're not black, you're obviously not a black woman, it was a non-black man, and it's like, what reference do you, like, what do you say? Because you're trying to make a general comment on something so specific. And so to say that he had a right to his preference, well, why don't you extend that right to black women and say they have a right to not protest or who they don't want to protest for? So anyway, let me get into some specific points, inshallah. So, number one, I think it's important for women in general, black women in particular, to self-preserve. 
And the truth is that our community does not have the ability to preserve us. So if you went to a march and the march got violent, there are not men who are going to protect you. So think about the nation of Islam. I mean, first of all, when they did their... I don't know how big they were into marches, but you would see pictures of them sometimes, like crowds of them, whatever, um, that did their million men march, of course. But they had a system in which they were willing to protect and defend their women. They were armed. I mean, that's true for Black Panthers as well, but I think men and women were armed. But they were armed. And so you could feel like, if I go out and protest with these men, all else fails. You know, if the crowd gets violent, whatever, these men are going to protect me. I don't think black women have that guarantee at all. Um, Unfortunately, it's usually black, it's often black women who are on the front lines. If you look at these marches for police brutality. So you really have to ask yourself, not only, (coughs) excuse me, not only why would you put your life on the line for a man who hated black women? But why would you put your life on the line for men? Period. Period. Because they are the ones who are supposed to protect the women of their community. When men used to fight in war, and this is still true today in the West, most of the combat soldiers are men. When men fight in war, they protect the women and children. The women and children stay at home while the men go out and fight the battle. So why is it that you as a woman are going on the front lines? Our men are the ones who are supposed to protect us. And I get that, unfortunately, our men are the target. (coughs) Excuse me. But that doesn't mean that we can take their place. I mean, this is is so um, relevant for our community in so many areas. Like when there's no father in the home, when the there's an absentee father, the woman cannot play the role of mother and father. No, that is just a fatherless home. Sorry about that. I had a little coughing fit. Um, so when a father is not present in the home, there just is no father in the home. And unfortunately... Unfortunately, some black women actually think that they can take the role of both mother and father, as my the story that my dad likes to tell sometimes of he was in the hood for some reason, like in the projects for some reason, uh, with my uncle. I think they were going to visit someone and they were in an elevator and these two women were talking and one said No, no, they were in an elevator with a woman, and the woman came into the elevator. And one said to the other, Happy Father's Day. (laughs) And the other said the same back, Oh, Happy Father's Day to you, too. And, of course, my dad and my uncle are looking at each other like, What is up with these women? What's going on? And so they laughed and said, Oh, there's no fathers around here. So every Father's Day, we just tell each other Happy Father's Day also. Like, they say Happy Mother's Day on Mother's Day, Happy Father's Day on Father's Day. Um, But the reality is that a woman cannot fill the role of both a man and a woman. You can't step into the father's role. And nor can a man do so for a woman, but it just doesn't happen as often that men are left as single fathers. So just the same, just because the men are not protectors in our community doesn't mean that we can take on their role. And something that people don't get that I spoke about in my blog post called Is Anybody Home? Is that when women leave the home, for example, in, in a more general example, when women left, a, left the home to go to work, no one was home. And I think no one realized that we don't talk enough about the significance of that. If you leave the home, if women leave the role of the traditional role of women, that role is no longer being fulfilled. You cannot be in two places at once. One of the things that I hate that some working mothers will say is that uh, to stay-at-home moms that, oh, I do what you do and I work. 
Like, no, you don't do what she does. She's there 24 hours, let's say 12 active hours with her children. You're there four active hours with your children. Probably not even that active because you're going to be tired from work. You have other stuff to do, but whatever. Let's let's be generous and say four. That's not the same. There's a huge difference between being there and being available for your child at every single time they can need you. And that doesn't mean that you're hovering over them, but when they need you, then if you're not there. And so your four hours of being there can never amount to 12 hours of a woman being there, even if you do more in those four hours, because mothering is not just about doing it's not just about activity it's also just about it's also about being there and being present and being receptive that's really valuable and if you're not there you're not there and that's not to um guilt working mothers as people will say it's just the reality like you can't because really what what ends up happening in fact is that working mothers shame women who are stay-at-home moms because they make them think like oh well all you do is stay at home when I do your job and I go to work it's like no you don't being at home being receptive being present for 12 hours a day is very different from doing so for four hours a day if if you even are really that present for all those four hours and so that's the same in the same way for the role of the protector that men are supposed to play if women women can't take on that role and when they do they're not only harming themselves and putting themselves in harm way harm's way but they're also neglecting their role as nurturers and healers because traditionally when men went out into the battle to fight when they came home well firstly there were there were some women um, on the battlefield, quote-unquote, but what did they do? They were the nurses. So there would be women who would be the first responders in terms of healing anyone who was wounded or anything like that. And then once you come back home and you enter into the presence of your your wife and your children and you get to feel normalcy again, you get to have home-cooked meals, you get to have the presence of a loving wife, inshallah, like, if you if men and women are on the battlefields, what home are they coming back to? Like there is no home. There is no I don't know how to say the word, but that presence that a woman can can make of turning a house into the home is no longer there. So you come back from the battlefield, who is going to heal you emotionally, physically, spiritually from that journey? Well, if you're a woman on the battlefield, you're returning home to no one. And if you're a man on the battlefield and the woman was fighting besides you, she's you're also returning home to no one. So I think we have to realize as black women that when we attempt to take on men's roles, then we're neglecting our own as women, as being healers and nurturers and being those friendly faces when the men come home and the loving faces when the men come home. There was um this episode of Black Mirror where there was an army guy and it was like, you know, Black Mirror is supposed to be the future, but one of the ways that they kind of kept him, um, well, okay, that part doesn't matter so much, but when, anyway, when he got back home, they created this virtual like woman like this virtual woman that he was coming back home to the reality was that he was alone um and I I think his house maybe wasn't that nice but whatever they did with their eyes whatever technology they put into it they were able to create this virtual woman to come home to and that the reality is that that has been um expected uh what can I say that's a presence that has been available for a very long time, just sort of in in most communities that there were roles and neither role was more important than the other. Both were important because what is even the point of going to war and fighting for your community or your country and you come back home to nothing? You know, when you're coming back home and, and that was one of the issues that happened to a lot of soldiers in 
the Vietnam War because so many people were against it. They were coming back home and they weren't being welcomed. They didn't feel like they had done something worthwhile because so many people hated them. Um, but our role as women in the community is to be that welcoming, receptive warmth that men come back home to when they are finished with the battle. And while we're not really talking about battle here, we're just talking about protest, it is symbolic. And so we also, we, and we also have to realize this black woman, whether you're a single mother or you have a husband, that that energy that you're putting towards protecting the community should be put towards loving and giving energy to your own family. And when we're talking about the case of Stefan Clark, in particular, men like him, you really have to ask, why should black women support and love men who don't support them? Why don't they pour that energy to support and love men who love them? Um, so the next point I wanted to... Okay, so I touched on gender norms. Also, I wanted to touch on the fact that... <laughs> Uh, I think that most of these protests and hashtags and YouTube rants are actually useless. So I think that something has to be said for that as well. Because for one, I don't think black women should be risking their lives for black men, period. For any man, obviously. But for black men, period. That is not our job. We're not here to protect and provide. We're here to nurture and love and be empathetic let them fight the wars, let them fight the battles, let them go to the protests and risk their lives, and let us give our loving, empathetic energy to, the, first off, the men who love us and who are hopefully on the front lines um, attempting attempting to protect and defend the community, and to our children who need us, who don't need us to have all this angry um aggressive energy they need our love and support so on top of that we have to ask ourselves if these protests even work so it's like in one sense i'm saying it's the role of the man if we are to have these protests the men should be the one out the men should be the ones out there because it's symbolic of protection and that's their role but at the same time, I also have to say how valuable are these protests? How valuable are these hashtags that we're doing on social media? How valuable are these YouTube rants, especially compared to their detriment? So this was a comment I wrote under Serin's video. So there's two people I like to listen to when it comes to race issues. One is Chrissy and one is Serin. They're both on YouTube, and I'll probably leave the link in the description. Unfortunately, they curse a lot, so I definitely understand it won't be everyone's taste, but they do make a lot of interesting points. And Serin actually felt like we should still stand for Stephen Clark because we don't want to get to a point where every time there's a victim, we're kind of like, uh, sort of looking for the perfect victim so if anything is wrong with the victim then we won't fight for them won't defend them and i i understand what she's saying but i don't think it has to go there because this is very literal it's like he was anti-black woman so why should black women defend him just like if someone was anti-muslim women let's say someone was anti-muslim woman and they wrongfully died should we defend him that's not and that's not the same question as saying, should he be defended? Those are two different questions. Yes, he should be defended. Yes, there should be justice for him. The question is, should black women in particular support him? Should the group that he hated when he was alive support him? That's the question. And really, that's a question that only black women have the right to answer. Whoever wants to chime in, whatever, you know, you can't stop anyone, obviously, from speaking their mind. But at the end of the day, black women have to make that decision for themselves. So um, I wrote under her video, I said, black women shouldn't risk their lives for black men, period, as I already said. So here's why. And, and I already spoke about one aspect of why, which is about gender norms that we desperately need to reinstate in the black community, because that is really how we've been damaged the most 
tearing apart families that happened in slavery, the removal of black men that happened after slavery. There there were just so many ways that obviously there were uh, so many ways to try and destroy the black community. And one of the biggest ones was the destruction, the destruction of the family as well as the destruction of gender norms. So um, these are some of the issues I see with black women supporting them, whether online or on the street. One, will there be black men to support all these black women if they lose their jobs? So if you're a black woman and you're all over Twitter and social media, Justice for Stephen Clark, these cops are so horrible, what they did to him, et cetera, et cetera, and you lose your job because we know that people lose their jobs these days over what they say on social media, who is the black man that's going to be financially supporting you? If you're fortunate, it will be your husband if you're married, inshallah. But if you're not, which a lot of black women aren't, who exactly is going to financially support you? If you lose your job supporting a man who, yes, was wrongfully killed, but also hated you and would never support you had the shoe been on the other foot. Based on his past behavior, again, we can't say if he would have changed, of course, but or even if he had changed, because he may have changed within the last two or three years. But you really have to ask yourself, is it worth losing your livelihood to support a man that did not like you or even to support men, just black men in general, who, if you lose your livelihood, cannot support you, period. So we don't have enough job, we don't have enough job creators in our community that you could, that you can be so anti-racism, so anti-whatever, maybe even anti-white on your social media and feel like, oh, but it's good because I can just get a job with black people. Like, no, a lot of black people work for white people. So can you really risk your livelihood? And the answer is no. A lot of black, most black women are not married, at least not in their, um, I know the rate goes up the older we get, but we get married later and a lot of us just aren't married. So if you don't have a man in your household to support you and there aren't enough jobs available in your community, do you really want to risk your livelihood to defend someone who would never defend you? The next point, I said, will there be black men to get her out of jail, to get black women out of jail if we get arrested at these marches? The answer is no. We don't have, there are so many people in our community who end up sitting in jail just because no one can bail them out. Like, it's a sad reality. Just because no one close to them or there's no community fund to release people from jail just, you know, by paying off the, paying the bail. So if you get arrested, there's a high probability, if you get arrested as a black woman, black person in general, yes, but as a black woman in particular, there's a very high uh, probability that you are going to stay in there for some time just because you or the people close to you can't afford bail and your community or the men in your community certainly haven't set anything up to be able to pay for bail. So... Again, are you going to risk your freedom for black men in general who are supposed to be protecting you and specifically for a black man who wouldn't defend you? My next point, are black men protecting our bodies from state violence? This is something we already spoke about. So if I would feel more than safe if I was going to a rally with the Nation of Islam, because even still, those men, to me, look like they are still stand-up men. They still believe in protecting black women. And so I would feel, I, I still wouldn't go to a march, but if I was going to go to a march, I would feel comfortable with a group like the Nation of Islam, who I know have the mindset to protect women. In general, I would not go, I wouldn't feel safe at some random rally with black people because with black, with anyone in general, but we're speaking specifically about black people, 
because there's no um, evidence that my body is going to be protected by those men in general. Now, if I know the men specifically or if it's a group like the Nation of Islam, that's different. But in general, we can only predict the future by the past. There's no evidence that black men would protect black women's bodies. So why in the world would I risk my livelihood, risk my freedom, or risk my life trying to, one, defend men who should be defending me, and in particular defending a man who would never defend me, who hated black women and preferred non-black women? It's very, like, that's asking a lot of black women, and I think that black women are more than justified to say, actually, I'm not going to protest for you. I'm not going to hashtag. Like, it is not me risking my livelihood, my freedom, and my body for you or for men in general who should be protecting us. And, okay, so I touched on the point that, obviously, I don't even think these marches and hashtags and YouTube brands do anything um, besides raise awareness, with it is important to raise awareness. So I do support Black Lives Matter in general because I think it's important to raise awareness. At the same time, the idea that we're just going to continuously appeal to white people's mercy is just ridiculous and it has to stop. This is something that Tennessee Coates spoke about in his book. This is something Malcolm X has spoken about. Um, it is just, like, we need to stop it. It has never, it has almost never worked. There's been a few times where it has worked, but for the most part, it has not worked. And it's kind of like, the history gets hidden. Like, Hamdana, I learned a lot when I went to Washington, D.C. at the National Black Museum or National African American Museum. Um, a really big one. I don't quite remember the name of it, but it's probably the biggest one in D.C., And we don't talk enough about the revolutionaries, even during the time of slavery. We don't talk enough about black people who were threatening violence, who were willing to kill for their freedom. We talk about the merciful white man who just decided, you know what, slavery is bad, let's end it. We talk about, when it comes to civil rights, we talk about Martin Luther King and people being... um, attacked by police dogs and and hosed down and all of that and um again oh merciful white people they see all this evil stuff that some of the the, that these cops are doing let's stop this let's have integration etc but we forget about the violence that people like malcolm x were threatening that people like malcolm x were completely pro-self-defense. And that's not to diminish the work that Martin Luther King did. One of the little-known things that people don't know about Martin Luther King is that he was pro-gun in his personal life. He owned guns. He was ready to fight when it was necessary. And I think that he was very much pushed to his limit by the entire process. Alam, if he lived longer, he may have come around to, to the Malcolm X way of thinking. But it really, the more radical, violent, um, aggressive wing of civil rights and anti-slavery is not really spoken about. It's kind of whitewashed. And we see that white people in, in this nation, they love to talk about Martin Luther King. I have a dream speech. That's and, and only excerpts of that speech. That is how they would like to remember him. But the reality is that he was much more complicated, much more radical than that, and that he was hated in his lifetime by many, many uh, white people and by the government, obviously. So it's important that we realize that marches may have worked a couple of times for a few things. They do not work most most of the time. And how do we know this? Because every single one of these police shootings, there's a march. Every single one. But most of these cops do not get convicted. So we all know the saying, the definition of crazy, of insanity is to keep doing the same thing, thinking you'll get different results. 
we've already done the the vis the visuals or vigils <laughs> vigils, the prayer circles, the prototypes. We've done all of that. Doesn't work. Why do we keep doing it? There has to be a better way. And I'm not pro violence. Um, I'm pro self defense, obviously. Um, but I'm not pro violence. And one simple reason is that. I think if black people ever decided to take up arms, we would lose. I mean, we are, the reality is we're a minority in this country. So we would lose. There's no doubt about that. Um, so yeah, it's just a thing of also these marches and protests are not getting us anywhere. But they they are, we are risking our lives. We are risking our freedom. We are risking our livelihood but we're not really getting much in return. So the last thing I said is that black women need to self-protect and focus on being down for men who are down for us. Because really as black women, we need to work on our relationships. How many how many black men, you know, the stereotype of black women is that we have a bad attitude. And, you know, unfortunately, I think there is some truth to that. And I think we have reason to have that attitude. A lot of well, black women in general, I think we have reason to be that way. So focusing on our own selves, for focusing on our own personality, our softness, our femininity is so much more valuable to the community because the reality, I think this is a part of the reason why so many black women are upset, the reality is that you go and you defend these men and you protest and you shout and you scream, you're hardening yourself as a woman and you're becoming exactly the kind of black woman that a man like Stephen Clark rants against. So it's it's a very ironic thing. You're out on the front lines risking your life and you become the exact kind of woman they hate, the aggressive woman, the woman who wants to be the leader, the woman who's uh, angry. That's exactly the kind of black woman that black men complain about. Yet, obviously, they have no issue when we're on the front lines marching for them. But when it comes to relationships, that isn't what they're looking for. So it's like we lose on so many fronts as black women by trying to defend our community in that way. So I think that for us as black women, we need to focus on self-preservation. We need to focus on bettering our own selves for the sake of ourselves, for the sake of our children, for the sake of our men, which will trickle out to our community. And going being on the front lines just isn't helpful for us in any way, shape, or form. So the last thing I'll say is that obviously the next question to come to mind is, well, what can we do? What we can do, first and foremost, of course, Alhamdulillah, Stephen Clark, he did convert to Islam, so we should pray for him, for those of you who are Muslim listening. But also, as black women, we need to reclaim our femininity, and we need to realize how important it is. We need to realize that we cannot take on the role of men. We need to realize that we should not be risking our lives for men for men in general, but also particularly for men who wouldn't risk their lives for us. And it's not a it's not a tit for tat. It's like it's not like a you do for me, me do for you. It's just about where to put your energy. And we all know there'll be another police shoot there already has been other police shootings that we can all go and in cape for those people and defend those people. So it's not as if, oh, if you don't defend Stephen Clark, you're not standing for the cause. And and really, we don't need to be only anti-police brutality when there's a case that comes up because this stuff is happening all the time, which goes into my next point, which is that there are things in the background that are so much more valuable for us to be doing that has nothing to do with social media, YouTube rants, or, or anything else we do online. It has everything to do with what we do in our everyday life supporting black businesses just yesterday i discovered a well i discovered it a while ago just yesterday i went to this young black man who has his own cafe lovely cafe nice space and i'm the cafe kind of person i like going to cafes doing my work and so much of my work is online getting my cup of coffee going there and supporting him is immensely valuable 
the more I don't I don't know obviously if he's married to a black woman or whatever but nevertheless to me supporting one black man is a step in the right direction one black man who has a business in a black community unfortunately it is being gentrified but in a black community trying his best inshallah to Allah giving back to the community but even being there in the community is giving back to the community that to me is immensely valuable to support that young man and of course that's just a small drop in the bucket because if he's the only one and and I just support him that doesn't do much for our community but really finding whatever black businesses you can and supporting them and me getting a cup of coffee at a cafe no one is going to see that no one cares that looks like whatever just another day but the reality is that if we're conscious of our decisions that's exactly how we'll make change if you say you know what i'm only going to go to the black owned grocery store i'm only going to go to the black owned hair salon i'm only going to go to the black owned laundromat etc then we start to build our communities up i think we also have to encourage more of our young men to be conscious first of all but also to join the police force because a large part of changing or ending police brutality is going to be an inside job there has to be black people who love black people who are in the police force it cannot we cannot just keep fighting from the outside and that's something that we also have to get as a community. I, I remember when my sister, she was invited for a Ramadan dinner, I suppose, with President Obama. And I'll leave her link below if you just want to, if you're interested in hearing that. Um, And she was, not her in particular, but Muslims in general were criticized for going because they're saying, oh, you know, Obama, whatever wars he did in the Middle East, which to me is so silly because what president hasn't had a war in the Middle East? I mean... Most of them have in recent years, um, but whatever. And it's like, we're only going to change but so much if we're shouting from the outside. So imagine, imagine two people having a dinner conversation or imagine being invited to have dinner and with someone that you don't agree with. And instead of having dinner with them and trying to talk to them about particular issues, then you say you decline the dinner, but you go and you stand outside in front of the restaurant and you yell at them from outside the restaurant. Like that, to me, that's really the only two options. Either you sit down and you talk or you're just, you're just a person, another person shouting outside and really what is better? If you have the opportunity to talk to people, you should. So I think that sometimes it is an inside job. We need not just black people, but black people who love black people to go into the police force and make changes from the inside. And not, not, just, pol- not just police. I'm sure there are other kinds of people that can work in the, with the police force to begin to change these issues, but especially young black men going into the police force and trying to change it. Because the reality is that even though this is an issue that's happening nationally, more than likely it's going to be fixed state by state, community by community. Doesn't matter what, even now that these people have body cams, they're still killing black people. So obviously it's not really going to be something that has a solution from the top down. It has to be community by community and we need to realize that there is power in numbers. So that's that's one area. Um, So I said... Black businesses, having black people in the, black people who love black people in the police force, um, our relationships, as I already pretty much mentioned, us as black women focusing more on our relationships with our men, if we have men in our lives, if we have, if we're married, and also with our children, because it, because of the fact that there are so many households with absentee fathers there are way too many black women i don't know where we got this idea but there are way too many black women who are trying to be both mother and father and you can't when you try to become both father too you're taking away from your mother role you're not going to be able to be as nurturing or as merciful um there was a movie that just released on netflix that i really enjoyed called roxanne roxanne about the 
rapper Roxanne Chante. I think she was a rapper in the 90s. But it also shows the dynamics between her and her mother. Her mother was a single mother. And I don't think that this is... Um, what I'm going to say, I don't think that the relationship they showed was an odd one. I think it's actually quite normal. And I think that a lot of people will watch that movie, Black People, um, and not even see the mother-daughter dynamic as a bit abusive because it's so normal, especially in certain communities, not all Black people, but especially in certain communities. And the reality is that because the woman feels like, oh, I need to take on the role of the man and the woman, I need to take on the role of the father and the mother, then they can become abusive. And so, especially a woman, because it's beyond just trying to take on the role of the mother and the father, it's not having a relationship as well. So when you don't have a man that you can rely on, whether he is also helping you take care of the kids, um, by that I mean like uh, emotionally or whether he is just uh, being your financial support, whatever role that he plays, because maybe he's he's very, um, what should I say? Like him taking on the father role, but obviously even though I'm saying that men are mainly providers and protectors, that doesn't mean that's all they are. They can choose to also take on some nurturing, just like a woman can choose to take on some of the provider and protector the problem is when you try to do both or you try to take on the exact opposite. Um, but the man, for a woman to, one, try to take on both roles, but also to not have that support for her own self. So when she's angry, when she's frustrated, when she's depressed, when she's et cetera, et cetera, she always has to deal with her kids by herself. And that alone can make a woman abusive in a way that she may not even realize, depending too much on the son or daughter to be that second parent, um, being too harsh, being too strict, being too permissive, just not being able to have a shoulder to cry on ever can also harden women and make them more abusive. So allowing women realizing first and foremost that you cannot take on the father role, don't try. So whether that means getting the getting sort of a surrogate father, like maybe your grandfather or uncle, or maybe there's some kind of boys club you can go to to get that mentorship, or getting remarried, hopefully, then you need that. And you need that, I mean, in one sense, you need it for the child, right? Um, but also, in a sense, it's not good enough in terms of just getting the mentorship because you also need it for your own self. You need to be rejuvenated by your relationship in order to nurture and love and be merciful towards your children. So inshallah ta'ala, also working on ourselves so that we can attract good spouses who will help us in our burden, whether you have previous children um, or whether you don't, but I'm, I'm specifically talking about single mothers who will help you in that burden. That's also immensely important. And unfortunately, instead of doing that, a lot of women will try to take on the mother and the father will obviously fail at that, be frustrated, become bitter because of their past relationship and and become abusive to their child and pass on those abusive ways to that child and that child take it on 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 their children until someone is able to break the cycle. So focusing on ourselves is not a small thing. It's so important. Focusing on our relationships are so important and it trickles out to the entire community. One of the issues that we have is that there's almost zero focus on the inner aspect of our community. We talk a lot about police brutality. We even talk about single motherhood, but we don't really talk about what's happening in the household. How many? How much TV are we watching? Are we having any meals together? How do you talk to your children? How do? You, how is your relationship like the actual inner reality of our community that completely one hundred percent affects the outer part of our community? The way you raise your children. I mean, it it seems so obvious, but I feel like we don't get it. The way you raise your children are the kind of or is the kind of human beings you're creating to contribute or not to your community. So if a woman is in the predicament I just mentioned of being bitter, of trying to be both, both mother and father, becoming abusive to her children, well then what kind of child is she going to raise? What kind of person is she 
is she contributing to the community? What will their contribution be if we don't nip it in the bud in the beginning? So if we don't say from the beginning, okay, maybe that past relationship didn't work out, but let me work on myself. Let me make sure that I'm getting meal mentorship for my children. Let me, after I've I've worked on myself for a period of time, let me try to remarry so that I'm not trying to take on the burden of the world by myself. So I have a shoulder to cry on. Those are things that are so important and we can't ignore it as black women. We can't try to take on what our men should be doing, which is protecting and providing. We have to go back to our roles of what we need to be doing of nurturing and caring. So um, I know that I said a lot, but I hope it was beneficial to someone. I hope it was clear first and foremost, but I hope it was beneficial inshallah ta'ala you can decide to if you choose you can decide to support him or not publicly but obviously i gave all the reasons that really go beyond stephen clark all the reasons why i don't believe black women should put themselves again should put their livelihood their freedom or their lives on the line for men period um black men in particular and Stephen Clark even more particularly because he had this added aspect of being anti-woman and none of that none of that none of that is to say that it's okay that he was killed by police no of course it's not okay but that's why we need to do the work in our community because people are going to keep getting killed by the police the hashtags aren't going to do anything the rants aren't going to do anything the um protests aren't doing anything we have to do something else we can't keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. So we have to do something else. And for us as black women, that something else needs to be everything that I've already listed. And we, we just, self-preservation is is key. Take care of yourself and let that mercy, that love, that compassion, that nourishment pour into your own family and let our men take care of the community. Thank you for listening. Take care.